Welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, bringing you the brightest minds in open banking, open finance and beyond. Hello and welcome to episode seven of Open Banking Expo Unplugged. I'm Ellie Duncan, Head of Content at Open Banking Expo and your host for today. And I'm joined by Eduardo Moreni, co-founder and chief executive of money management app Emma, which lets users connect their bank accounts set budgets, track their spending, and generally save money. Having launched in the US and Canada in 2019, last year was another significant year for Emma, which raised $2.5 million in seed funding. They also teamed up with digital wealth manager Nutmeg to give customers a better overview of their finances. Hello, Eduardo. Great to have you with us. Hi, Ellie. Thanks. Thanks for the introduction. You already said anything. I think we can skip my part. Excellent. I'm glad I've, I've covered it all so, so briefly and summarised it. But um, perhaps then you can start by kind of telling us a bit where the idea for Emma came from. Yes, of course. Like, um, you know, we started a company, uh, I would say officially in 2018 when we launched. But Emma was the process of like a much longer journey. Um, I met my co-founder in uni in Manchester where we're studying computer science together. And we spent four years uh, there. And while being a uni, we actually, you know, we had our first, you know, few interactions with the financial system and we were like new student accounts, right? And you quickly realize that as a student, but even as a, like a general adult, uh, the bank, any bank out there does not provide that level of like, sort of like um, comfort that you that anyone would need, right? And we're talking about, understanding when you're likely to go in overdraft, um, understanding what subscriptions you're paying from, um, understanding how the money is flowing, how things like your net worth uh, are. So really giving like uh, value on top of your like finances. And that's when we actually start thinking about the problem, which we actually started building a few years after uni. Um, and that's how pretty much Emma came out. It was a very long discovery process because after we, we left uni, we actually moved to Berlin in Germany and we tried to establish like a peer-to-peer lending business there, which never went anywhere. And after that, we actually built a money management app for the German market. We were live for like a few months there and we quickly realized that the biggest opportunity was actually not in Germany and Europe, but actually in the UK. And so after that, we actually shut down um, Germany and moved back to the UK. And in the UK, we saw like an ecosystem that was ready to uh, to get new fintech products in, a ton of like new users that want to build, you know, they want to try new products, and so like uh, a future for uh, for the company. That's really interesting that you um, you kind of spotted more more of an opportunity in the UK and then because uh, I, I guess it must have been a risk having set up in Germany to kind of leave that market and and try and make it you know work in in the UK right. I think you know it's funny because as as as, in, as entrepreneurs and people that build products we, we always talk about product market fit right, which basically means you know you need to have like a market that uses your product and. We never think about how culture and a country can actually flip the product market fit. Um, and so a product that might work in Italy might not work really well in the UK. Um, and this is very typical of like fintech products because they relate to 
finance and so the way that we manage our money and the way that we use our money. And when you look at the UK compared to Germany, you quickly find out that, for example, cash, cash usage is completely different. You know, Germany is a cash-based society, while UK is like just like uh, digitalized, fully digitalized, which means that for a product like Emma that, you know, connects to your bank accounts and track your finances, we really have got 100% of your transactions in Emma all the time, while in Germany it would be 50% of what you do on a day-to-day basis, right? Um, and I think that's like a very important key lesson. And for us, when it came down to risk, it's like, you know, we were like 23 at the time. We couldn't care less. I would just like move to another country. Um, we didn't have anything to lose um, apart from being like completely broke. So I guess, you know, there wasn't anything else to lose because there wasn't already anything on the bank account. <laughs> it was more like more time of our life wasted into something, I would say. So you really needed the money management app more than anyone else. <laughs> but to be honest with you, this is like a, a very common misconce- misconception about it, right? Um, sometimes we find people that say, oh, I'm doing well with my finances, so I don't need something like that, right? But then when you look at the my user base, 50, 60, probably 70% of them are people that are already doing well and they're like well off with their money. And they use Emma as a tool to over-optimize and understand how they spend and how they want to spend better or even like invest. So we're really building like a product for people that want to go to the next step. And we're talking about the graduates that live in the city that want to, you know, plan for the next 30, 40 years. Uh, Generally speaking, when you look at people that are like fully in debt or they don't have any money at all, they typically don't tend to use a product like Emma. for a simple reason, so they need to face the debt reality every single day. Um, while someone that is already doing well and they can see the progress on a day-to-day basis, like is way more like motivating to to them. Yeah. So your typical user then is someone who's probably working full time. As you say, they've probably got a, a chunk of savings, perhaps not a huge pot, but they do want to do something with that pot of money and and uh, kind of invest it, they want to kind of look at their options, right? Yes, and you know, that's why we started integrating with like a bunch of like investment providers like Natomec that you mentioned, PensionB and others. But that's also like another main reason behind our next development of the product, right? We, we started three years ago with like budgeting and tracking, and now we really want to build investment products for uh, our users because we think that, you know, Interest rates on savings accounts are pretty much going negative and uh, people, anyone at any age needs to start investing now. And since we've got all this like, huge amount of users that use us every single day, it's very easy for us to you know, launch a new proposition inside the product and let people like adopt something new. Um, so far, at the end of this month, we're going to launch um, the, the trading of crypto. So you will be able to buy and sell crypto in Emma. Uh, we're working on long-term investments and also like um, the ability of like buying and selling stocks in Emma. So there are going to be like a lot of like a very exciting uh, updates coming in the next few months, only for uh, the UK market for now. That's really interesting the, that you'll be launching sort of trading of, of crypto. That's something that is obviously seen a lot of interest, hasn't it? There's been a lot of coverage of, of that in the news as well. Is that something that your users were sort of demanding that you 
you knew they were interested in? Well, we we already we are already are like probably the number one app that connects to more crypto exchanges and crypto addresses. So as of today, Emma connects to about eight different exchanges. Plus, we support about ten to probably twelve different addresses. So your Bitcoin, Ethereum address, also like Cardano and so on. Uh, so again, it's an evolution of what we want to do with the product because uh, we're really good at tracking. We can track whatever you want, but now the next following step is actually to let you do things in the app, which is not just track how much Bitcoin you have, but also like, you know, buy extra Bitcoin and see it in the app right away. Um I think for us, tracking was the first step. Now we need to move in the second step, which is like, okay, now we're going to actually do something with uh, your money. And I was just wondering, um, I guess, how you're going to approach that in terms of, obviously, the UK regulator has issued some kind of warnings about cryptocurrencies and sort of told consumers to, to be pretty cautious when it comes to trading them. What uh, what will your app kind of do in, in the sense that, you know, will you be able to flag those kind of concerns to users? Yeah, no, to do this, to do this we're actually using like a third party that is fully regulated. So uh, that would be fully FCA compliant. Um, but I think that, you know, what crypto is doing is really opening like new opportunities to everyone. I think that things like investing that for the last 40 years have been part of the 1%, now they need to go to the 99%, um, because why not, right? Uh, yes, people might uh, invest in a stupid way. They might lose all their money. That's true. But it's also true that before they were you know, losing the money by betting on sports events. And uh, now they're doing on crypto. So uh, no matter how you look at it, there will always be that sort of like risk factor. And on our side, we just need to make sure that we're compliant and people are aware of the risks involved in the in the activity, right? But really bringing that sort of like financial literacy into of investments into the mass market and even like savings, I think is going to benefit everyone overall. And let's um, dig down then into the tech behind Emma, if that's all right, because um, yeah. you've talked about all these uh, new products and services that you're going to be launching. But what? But what's the kind of where does that come from? What's the tech behind it all? So as Emma, we're like a, an AIS, so we're like an account information service provider, meaning that we've got access to open banking, and we directly connect to all the banks in the UK, and we work with them on an ongoing basis. And I think that's the biggest piece of tech and the most interesting one in the sense that, you know, we can enable people to connect their bank accounts in two taps. We can refresh their accounts up to four times a day. Um, I think that what I'm very excited about open banking is a perspective where we remove the 90 days renewal, which right now every user needs to go through. So which is, a, you know, the ability of like re-authenticating to the app uh, with their connections and also payments. I think payments are the next big, most exciting things in uh, in open banking because we'll be able to basically, I mean, as of today, we're able to process payments on the, our banking apps, but also in the next 12 months, we'll be able to do recurring payments and, and maybe we'll be able to, you know, to reduce the level of consent that we get into the payments flow. Um, in, as, for Emma itself, uh, we're actually building payments. It's not live yet, but in the next few weeks, we'll, we'll be launching peer-to-peer payments. So you'll be able to request and send money to your friends directly from Emma. 
And uh, in the next probably two, three months, we'll also add transfers, which, you know, it's the ability of like transferring money from any of the accounts that you, you've got connected to Emma, which is really good propositions because you can get, you can request and send money from any account that you have. And you can also transfer it from any account you have, uh, which means that for someone that's got two, three accounts, you know, they've got everything in one place. It sounds like you have uh, you've got a, a lot of sort of expansion plans coming up. Um, I, I was just wondering, um, did you see any changes in the way that your users um, kind of used Emma last year during the pandemic? And is that what's behind some of these kind of product and service launches? I think that you you would think that you know there is a pandemic and people start uh, budgeting like crazy because of the, the unemployment and all all the bad things that happened last year. But then when you look at the data, you know, 90% plus of the people, they didn't lose their job and they actually start saving more, more and more. And that's why we saw also the explosion of the investment apps because people were saving a lot of money and they were like, okay, where do we put uh, this money? And so in our case, um, what we saw was like people checking more their savings and how they were progressing over time and the kind of like obsession um, as a as a business on its own, we really saw zero impact. Like we didn't see anything that um, has impacted uh, impacted us as a business because again, we deal with uh, your day to day spending and your most basic financial needs. So regardless of a pandemic, am I still here? Is still functioning and will be functioning throughout the the, the pandemic? Uh, but definitely, there was like a strong focus on savings and investments because you know a lot of capital was available. So who do you identify as your competitors in this space? Being that, you know, Emma, maybe you can tell me, I don't know. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. the last, you know, in the last two years, we've been able to sort of like establish us as the first money management app in the UK. Um, in the market, there were like a bunch of apps like uh, Money Dashboard, Yolt, Snoop, and a few others that now are like five to probably six times smaller than us in terms of like user base and active users. Um, so there is definitely this like sort of like change. And now I guess for us, the question will be about who we're going to compete next, right? Because we really want to go beyond uh, money management and we want to build the financial control center of your entire life. And we really want you, you know, be able to save in Emma, invest in Emma, pay in Emma, receive money in Emma. And so we really want to have every single financial vertical in one place, which is goes beyond tracking because tracking is the first step. Now we're talking about the transactions behind the tracking. And for us, it's a question like, why do we need to track other banks when we can actually process those transactions inside the product? I think that's the biggest like development and this, the biggest like transition that we're going into. Mm-hmm. And you, I know you kind of when you, when you speak about Emma, you talk about sort of helping consumers to live like a more financially fulfilling life. Um, and I was just wondering what 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 do you mean by that? I suppose, and and uh, what does that mean to you in a way? Yeah, it's 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 an interesting question because like the first thing that people notice when they download the app is their subscriptions. You know, we built subscriptions three years ago and it was this sort of like a relevant feature that we thought that we had to add, but we didn't feel, we didn't think it was the core. But the biggest hook that we get when people, you know, download the app and join is, is that they see 
some payments have been paying for years that they didn't they didn't wear like they're not like aware of right and so i think that's like one of the biggest hooks that we've got in the app that's really like sort of like uh drove, drove a lot of like traffic and also like a lot of like financial improvement because you know if you've got products that you can download and in five minutes can show you three things that are wrong about your finances can even tell you, you know, you can switch this energy provider, you can um, get this other broadband, and overall you do, you can save 200 pounds in the next 12 months in 10 minutes. I think that's one of the biggest like selling point about Emma and what we're like offering uh, to the market. Um, and then the improvement goes on because like you've got those 10 minutes of like, haha, I've improved, but then there is also like the planning aspect, right? How are we going to work together in the next 12, 24th, 36 months do you want to budget how do you want to budget uh do you want to connect more accounts do you want to keep track of network network was like one of the biggest features that we released last year which is really about seeing where is your network and how you can improve it over time and we saw like a massive explosions of people that were really like tracking their network daily um and that was really like exciting and important right uh, because it goes back to the point of like I want to progress and I want to move uh, beyond. And and if you look at the product as of, of as of today, it's really like a set of like graphs or progress bars that show you where are you at today and where you can be tomorrow. And that's exactly what we, we want to do with Emma. We want to keep help. We want to basically keep helping you improve uh, day by day uh, in your financial life. Uh, it's a tough job. Uh, some people commit to it a lot and, you know, they open even the app two, three times a day, other people's less. But I think that at any point in our like life, anyone should come to the conclusion that, you know, improving is doable, can be done. And you just need to take, you know, make a bit of like effort in, in, in doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned already a number of products that you're you're launching and, and bringing to market. Um but I was wondering in terms of like expansion plans kind of regionally or geographically, where, where, which markets do you have your eye on um, having, yeah. you know, established yourselves really well in, in the UK, of course. I think, you know, in the UK, we got to be the first money management app. Then we also been in the US and Canada. Um, for us, US and Canada was a way of like seeing if um, the market is ready. And uh, from like an open banking perspective, the market in the U.S. is not ready at all. Um, you know, U.S. still relies on credential sharing for most of the connections with any provider, meaning that any users that download the app, they need to input the username and password, which also means that no one remembers their username and password. So it's really difficult to get the trust of the users, but also like the ongoing usage because... Uh, even like updates are limited and there are like a bunch of like infrastructural problems. What we have seen is that open banking has really, really accelerated the growth in the UK because it's really like enabled people to connect and use, you know, the bank accounts in Emma. And our biggest sort of like um, hope or like vision is that in the next one, two years, the same thing, the same thing that happened in the UK will also happen across Europe. Uh, and the reason behind that is that Europe is forced under PSD2 to implement, you know, the same APIs and the same connections as the UK, while in the US there isn't any regulator that, you know, is actually forcing anything, right? And so it's a bit of like a, 
uh, an open like market like uh, far west <laughs> kind of like uh like a wild west kind of like situation while in europe we might see the same evolution and so markets like france spain italy might get extremely interesting um all of a sudden and on our side we're looking at both uh, definitely we've got presence in the us and canada is growing uh, but we're really interested interested in seeing how europe is going to get to the same level of um, of the uk yeah it's interesting as well you that you mentioned that in the us they they weren't sort of quite ready was the canadian market a little bit different though oh, it's even worse <laughs> <laughs> uh we we use plaid in the us for north america so for canada and um and the us and plaid is 90% credential sharing as of today they're moving to api connections but is plaid is still a lot of limited by the number of updates that you can do per day and the connectivity and in canada there are like five to six main banks and they were all like fighting against the scrapers so they were trying to block the connection and so the experience was really really bad imagine having like a user that connects the account and then after a, a week they're logged out because the bank is like forcing them out so definitely there is still like a long fight to be fought there uh and you know we'll see how i will go you know over time yeah, absolutely. It sounds like um, quite a learning curve then entering the US and Canadian markets. I think that, you know, in terms of Emma, we've got the advantage that we operate in a non-regulated space, um, I would say, or very light regulated. And so for us, it's very easy to open a market, test it, see how the APIs are, uh, you know, get a thousand users to try the product and see what makes sense and what does not make sense. Um, and as of today, UK makes a lot of sense. US, we're still growing, is there, but on an infrastructure perspective, we know, and we can see it from the data there, it's not there yet, and you cannot offer a proposition that's fully based on the connection to the banks. You need to offer other products on top that keep the user engaged and retained. Okay. Um, I was wondering, you, you know, you've spoken about um, helping people to, to save money and to learn to budget. Um, but I was wondering, you know, if, if you would consider a kind of partnership or any kind of tie up, I suppose, with um, organizations in either the debt advice or the debt collection space, where obviously there, there's a bit of a, a link, I suppose, maybe with, with what you're encouraging people to do, which is to kind of get their finances in, in order, of course. Yeah, I'm, I'm not officially sure, but I think that most of them already recommend people to use Emma. Uh, we've had some conversations in the past of like partnerships and things like that, but I think that in that space, you don't even need a partnership. Like they usually recommend tools to help people track and, and manage their money. And on our side, we're completely open to work uh, with any organizations that cover like that issues, because I still think that anyone in the UK needs an app like Emma, and there is no bank that can get to that level, not even the challenger banks. And so, yes, we are on a mission to force everyone to download uh, to download that might get people to, you know, save and invest. Yeah, of course. Um, well, it sounds like your, your mission is working anyway. Um, we've also heard in the UK a lot about that, the buy now, pay later market. You know, there have been concerns about that being the kind of next payday loan phenomenon, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, uh, what are your thoughts there? Do you, is that is that a market that you, 
you would have concerns about or, or you know, what are your thoughts, I guess? I, you know, like I've always refused to add lending in Emma for the last three years because I didn't want to sort of like destroy people's uh, lives. Um which is what banks are good at. And, you know, we can, you know, let people, let banks do this job. Um, six months ago in Emma, we introduced uh, a partnership with like Monivo, which is part of the Queen Group. And they provide an API to actually scan through 40 lenders and see which of which lender offer the best like, loans. So as of today, we are originating some loans in Emma. Um, but when it comes and, and that's, I think it's useful to the user because, you know, if they're looking for a loan to renovate their house or buy a new car, or even like, you know, uh, get a mortgage, we work with Trustle as well for that. Um, these are like useful things. Uh, but when it comes down to, you know, buy a TV at a 30% APR, um, I think that's damage, right? And, um, buy now and shop later. It's just like another way of like doing a payday loan. Um, I think that in the UK, you know, the payday lending market was regulated. We saw some companies exploding and maybe we'll see other companies exploding in the next uh, few uh, years in the buy now and pay later. Um, I don't think, you know, I think that probably this market has found another way to call it. But at the end of the day, it's the same thing. So we'll definitely see how the regulator will approach this and how this will change over time. Okay, so it's kind of an area that you're you're keeping an eye on, really. And I mean, My advice to everyone out there is that money does not fall from trees. So <laughs> it does not exist. As much as you want to, to be true, it does not happen. It will never happen. Money comes if you work hard, so you need to work hard. That's the only thing that, you know, we produce money. And it's not even just working hard. It's about working hard on the right things because you might working hard on the wrong things and, you know, that does not produce anything. But yeah, money does not fall on trees. So, you know, uh, being able to buy a TV uh, today with no cash and then repay it in the next 12 months, you know, it's not something that, I guess I cannot give financial advice, but it's not something that I would do for myself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I wanted to, to pick your brains a little bit about kind of your experience really as a kind of fintech entrepreneur. And at the top of this podcast, I mentioned, you know, the seed funding that you'd secured early in 2020. So when it came to raising that funding, what was the process like for you? That was my second funding round because our first one was like the precede that we ran, we ran um, like a year before. Um, and that was like half a, half a million pounds. I think that for anyone that wants to start today, the biggest advice for me is to join an accelerator. So a company that accelerates startups. And the reason behind that is that most of these companies, uh, they are connected with the best uh, VCs uh, in your local area, like London or any other like hub in Europe. And so you would get into a program where they accelerate you and then they introduce you to the right people at the right time. Those are like two, two important things is that if you start today and you're not connected, probably you don't know when the right time to raise money is and you don't even know which the right, what the right people, who the right people are, right? And so that's the biggest advice. And the second biggest advice is probably to really focus on products. Um, you know, if the product does not work, you don't have a company. Um, and so forget about anything else, forget about press, forget about anything else, make sure that the product works and then focus about anything else that comes afterwards. And for us, it was exactly like this, like me and Antonio, my co-founder, we built a product with no money. 
we gave it to two, 3,000 users, and then we raised our first funding around via an accelerator. For us, it was The Family, which is like an accelerator based in Paris, uh, London, and Berlin. But there are plenty here in London as well. Like EF is like another like very, very big one in London that helps people like start companies. Um, I think it's like a tough space in the sense that it's not, uh, you know, it's not like a commoditized space. Uh, VCs is still like a niche market. Uh, and the market is made up by 20, 30 people in Europe where everyone knows each other. And probably as an entrepreneur with an idea, it's also really tough to get into it. And so using an accelerator or figuring out other ways, it might be like the best way to, to start. I know you mentioned earlier that um, you, uh, I think you said with your co-founder, actually, uh, you did start a P2P lender and it sort of never particularly went yeah. anywhere. I mean, uh, it's interesting talking about, I guess, what we might call kind of business failures, because so often um, these can often get ignored. And actually, you know, did you learn some of your biggest lessons from from starting up that? Well, that you know, for us, it was like more like, you know, it wasn't even like a failure. It was like, okay, this thing, it won't, it won't work. So let's do something else. So it, it's more about realizing really like when to stop and change. And that's like another problem with entrepreneurs is that any entrepreneur out there, and including me, is like, is very, I think it's very like, um, it's very likely. I mean, any entrepreneur is, is very, they tend to lie to themselves a lot. You know, yeah, this thing will work. Or yeah, we're going to improve this. But sometimes these are like just lies. And so you need to come to a point to see where the lies are and where the reality uh, is. And for us, when we were in Germany trying peer-to-peer, we realized a bunch of things. One is that the model never worked. You know, peer-to-peer lend- lending has always failed for 20 years. The second one is that in terms of like regulatory uh, space in Germany, it was very difficult to actually pull this on. And the third one is that, you know, we were two Italians that didn't speak any German in Germany. So it was like quite a joke. <laughs> so after we realized these three things, it was like, okay, now it's time to do something else. And so we, we, we simply like, you know, moved on and started something new. And that new thing actually worked and now it's working and it's moving on and it's a company with employees. Uh, before it was just me and Antonio in a room with no employees. Uh, so definitely... There is an argument of like, you know, be reflective, always think about what you're doing and where you want to go and understand when you need to stop or when you need to accelerate. That's uh, that's a really good advice, actually, there for, for any budding fintech entrepreneurs, I would say. Um, and certainly maybe another another important lesson there is is probably know the language of the country you're trying to yeah. Yeah, they like us because we were doing customer support with Google Translate from English to German. So do not do anything like that. <laughs> it's not good <laughs> advice. Okay, <laughs> that sounds like excellent advice. Um, Eduardo, thank you so much for answering my questions, coming on this podcast and for, for all your insights into kind of the, the wider market as well. So thanks very much. No problem. Thanks for having me. And I'm also going to thank our listeners for tuning in. There are plenty more episodes of Unplugged uh, coming your way. They're they're in production, so do stay tuned. Um, Also, a final reminder to uh, prepare your entries for the Open Banking Expo Awards. The deadline for entries is the 28th of May. Thanks very much, everyone. Goodbye for now.